Welcome back students, probably the biggest lecture of the year, Homer's Iliad 2019, Lecture 21, Book 16. We're going to talk about only Book 16 today and two major, major happenings. But first, remember, Book 11, Patroclus was sent out by Achilleus to Nestor's tent to see whether Machaon the healer had been injured and Patroclus made his way to that tent. At that tent, Nestor really gave him a profound guilt trip, we thought, where he listed out the five Achaeans who had recently been injured. I, if I can recall them, if I can pull them to my mind, I believe they were Diomedes, Odysseus, Agamemnon, Eurypolis, and Machaon. And we recall that Patroclus was moved in his heart, touched by Nestor's um, listing of these injured Achaeans, because he's not helping, the Myrmidons are not helping. They, under the command of Achilles, have also left the battle Due, due to the rage and anger, or excuse me, the rage, the raging anger of Achilles, their captain. And so, Patroclus, after his conversation with Nestor, in which Nestor suggested either A, convince Achilles to return to the fighting so that we do not all die, or B, wear his armor so that potentially we do not all die, that's option B, of course, not option A, Achilles is stronger than Patroclus, though Patroclus is an excellent warrior, Patroclus then ran into one of the injured Achaeans, Eurypolis, and then tended to his wounds. And so when he returns to Achilles' tent here, he is in a very different emotional state from when he left. He has seen the downtrodden nature of the Achaeans. He has seen with his own eyes and tended with his own hands a wounded friend. And this hurts him. He does not want to see his friends harmed. He is not there to watch his friends die. He is there to watch or to earn his own glory. So he returns to his tent in tears. And then, showing his youth, Achilles starts to make fun of his friend. In fact, he describes him as a little girl. He says, what is, why are you crying like a little girl who pulls at the garments of her mother, Patroclus? And Patroclus launches into his, his explanation. He says, listen, Achilles, for good reason, five of our Best friends are champions, Machaon, Eurypolis, Odysseus, Diomedes, and Agamemnon are injured. The Trojans are now at the, they've broken through the wall to the ships. They're trying to set fire to the ships. We are in a terrible situation. We need to do something. He is the voice of both passion and of reason in this moment. Achilles seems cold, cold like a certain god. A god uh, who in the Roman tradition is actually named Pluto for how far it is. But what's the name of the cold and pitiless god of the Greeks, Yes. Hades, indeed. Pitiless, because does he make exceptions? Do, does anybody get to not die? No, oh, and that's something that we all, uh, we all share, even with these characters here. And so, he makes his famous request. Achilles, fight! Or give me your armor so that I can fight for you. And so, Achilles says, okay. And in fact, uh, Pedrobus adds a little uh, extra bit. He says, I don't know if you're staying out of the fighting because you know some prophecy from your mother." Which is sort of him sort of saying, do you know some prophecy that if you were to fight, you might die? And if you knew a prophecy that if you were to fight and you would die, would that mean that you were, say, acting without courage at this moment? Achilles, uh, he doesn't take exception to this. He does not become angry at Patroclus for saying this. But he, he sort of uh, looks bewildered and says, uh, I don't know any prophecy about my death. And in fact, I'm not even still angry at Agamemnon or the Achaeans. But the reason why I'm not fighting is, when the embassy came, I said I would not fight until the, uh, the Trojans were burning my ships, or were threatening my ships with fire. And so, even though I'm not angry, I now have to keep my word. And so his reasoning keeps changing for why he's staying out of this battle. He seems very, what is the word for when you, you, you don't exactly know what you're doing? 
are very wooded then. Confused. He's confused. And so he gives Patroclus a command. But this will remind you, I think, and because we are getting to the holiday spirit or the Halloween spirit, a little bit about, like, say, a Halloween sort of trick. And so he says, you can take my armor, Patroclus, under two conditions. And the two conditions are these. Well, really, it's like one condition, but for two reasons. I should say it like that. You can take my armor, you can fight and repel the Trojans, but you cannot go beyond our wall. You can simply defend, you cannot offend. Because the idea might be that if Patroclus becomes too besotted, that will be the word that's used by our translator, Richmond Lattimore, if he gets too into the fight, if he's experiencing too much success, he might not only want to push the Trojans back through the Achaean Wall, but he might want to push them back across the river Xanthus. He might want to push them back to their gates. He might even try and sack the Trojan city because he's so excited about this. Interesting. Make sure this is still recording. Good, good. Oh, I just got a, a reminder that I'm giving a lecture on the Purgatorial after this. Thank, thank you, Father. Good. Everything's still in order. In any case, already tell what's going to go down here. Patroclus is going to successfully repel the Trojans, but is he going to follow the command of Achilles? Is he going to return to the ships when he is supposed to? No. And something that we will have to debate during seminar will be this. Is that because Zeus changes his heart or makes it so that he is besotted? Or is it because he himself gives in to a desire? For glory. It's a hard question. Is it Zeus? Is it him? Is it fate? We don't know. We're going to make this question very complicated today. Alright, in any case, he says, do not approach Ilion for two reasons. One is, you will diminish my honor. Because if you're the one who sacks the city, I won't be the one who sacks the city. You'll be the superhero, and everybody will tell the story about you, and well, I want everybody to tell the story about me. The second reason is, Apollo guards the walls of Troy. No human defeats Apollo. You recall that Diomedes tried to stab him three times, didn't even touch him. Diomedes effectively has stabbed both Aphrodite and Ares. Apollo is at a whole nother level. And you will see that again today because it will be the case that Patroclus will try to scale the Trojan walls three times. And on the fourth, he will get a slap in the head, um, which I'll read to you, which students often uh, sort of uh, laugh about because it, it, it really is just like an open-handed slap to the back of Patroclus. And then he'll be sort of dazed and then we'll all sort of cry together. But we'll laugh first. Alright, now, back to the battle itself. The Trojans have been doing fantastically well, but there has been one Achaean who has been the bulwark of the Achaeans, the wall of the Achaeans. He has been essentially alone, with the help of Bias the Lesser, standing against the Achaeans with a long pike on a ship. That is Aias the Greater, and finally Aias the Greater's position is overwhelmed. Finally, the situation is absolutely critical. Finally, something must be done or the Achaeans are going to lose. In fact, Hector takes his sword and cuts off the, uh, cuts off the spear part, the, uh, the sharp part, the metal part of Aias's pipe. Aias is, left, is rendered essentially ineffective and uh, defenseless. And so, Patroclus then is summoned. Just as Hector had to wait for Agamemnon to leave the battlefield, so now does Patroclus enter at the most meaningful, the most crucial possible moment when Aias, the bulwark of the Achaeans, is rendered ineffective, 
Who will stand against the Trojans? It will be Patroclus, not only Patroclus, but Patroclus and the Myrmidons. I have to move quickly through this one, but one thing I want you to keep in mind is the Myrmidons are an elite fighting force. They are literally going to be described as, and I want you to imagine this happening, a, a, a nest of wasps let being let out on the Trojans. It's like, if I let a nest of wasps out at you, what is your reaction to that? Run away in terror before they all sting you, right? Well, that's the idea behind the Myrmidons. When they finally enter the fighting, they, uh, they fight very well. So here, uh, this, uh, you don't need to write any of this except for you do need to know the bottom. This is just a quick recap. So after Hector overwhelms Ias and brings fire to, the, fire to the ship, Achilles sends out Patroclus, telling him, do not go beyond the ships because it will dishonor me, and Apollo might lurk there and hurt you. Patroclus takes Achilles' armor, something I should have mentioned before. There is one thing he doesn't take, which indicates that he is slightly different, slightly lesser than Achilles. Achilles has a very particular weapon. This is often the case with uh, ancient heroes in differing uh, traditions. There is a weapon that only they can wield. You probably know about this with King Arthur, the British uh, legendary king who, with Roman origins, who actually uh, supposedly has origins that go back to even even Troy, according to Gregory Monmouth, uh, who wrote a very famous history of Britain. There's also, of course, the, um, the uh, no, I was going to say Trojan, the Viking hero. There's a Viking hero, he has a hammer, only he can use it. Anybody know who this guy is? Yes? Thor. Thor, very good, very good. Well, Achilles has an extremely heavy, heavy spear. Spear that only he can wield. If it's too heavy for everybody else, that means that Achilles is wetter than everybody else. Stronger, clearly so, clearly so. This spear is too much for Patroclus. I will suggest to you a beautiful allegorical reading of this. The spear is too much for Patroclus, and that this fate and destiny is too much for Patroclus. He is attempting to live out Achilles' destiny, but he is very much Patroclus. Only Achilles can do what Patroclus is setting out to do. Patroclus is, Patroclus is doomed to failure. In this moment. And so, in any case, the weight of destiny lies too heavy. Also, this picture, though I really like it and think it's cool, there is an issue with it. Did any of you notice the issue with this picture? It is of an Argive on a horse. Yes? They didn't use cavalry. That's exactly right. If they were going to be pulled by horses, they would be in a chariot. So you would only ever fight from a chariot or on foot. You would never see somebody on a horse like that. You will never read about that in the Iliad. Yes? And he's also wearing a Corinthian helmet, which they would never wear. Very good. Very good. You would never wear a Corinthian helmet. No, it'd be very hard to look around. And also pretty heavy on that poor horse. You might think uh, medieval knights, they wore much heavier armor than the Achaeans do and would sometimes be on horses. Like, you can only imagine how strong slash uh, worn down those joints on those horses would be. Not something I've studied too heavily, but something I do wonder about occasionally. All right. couple just, uh, these are just interesting notes to share with you. Now, and I should show you a very beautiful picture of this. There is one other man in all the world who can harness the two immortal horses of Achilles. And so we're seeing that uh, Patroclus very much is taking the place of Achilles here. And you're just going to see just how massive the advantages are that Achilles has. Not only is he stronger than everybody and comes from a goddess and is himself a prince and is handsome and tall and fast and has a heavier uh, uh, weapon than everybody, but he has a charioteer who's the best charioteer out there. He is the only charioteer who can harness two immortal horses, horses that are impossible to control. That's why, remember, Odysseus was laughing at, uh, 
at, what was the name of that traitor who we cut off the head of at night? Yes, Dolon. That's why he was laughing at Dolon, because Dolon wanted the horses of Achilleus, and <laughs> Odysseus was like, you, you think you can handle those horses? I only know two people that can do that, and they are, woo-hoo-hoo, they are way above you on, let's just say, the dominance hierarchy. In any case, Automedon goes out with Patroclus. Patroclus is well outfitted, and tethered to that chariot are three horses. Two are immortal. They are called Xanthos, like the river Xanthos, and Balio. Xanthos means golden, uh, or, or bay. Uh, bay is a sort of brown horse. Uh, there are also uh, chestnuts, too, if you're a horse person. Uh, Balios means spotted, or dappled. That's a fancy word for spotted. They also run out with a mortal trace horse. The trace horse goes off to the right and helps you to turn in your chariot. Wouldn't actually have happened in the 8th century. Supposedly, like with Ius's shield, the idea of a trace horse comes from a time before even Ilion. It is called an anachronism. In any case, Achilles has three horses, one of which is mortal, and it can keep up with the immortal horses. Okay, you're all like, okay, immortal horses, that sounds cool. This guy has a legendary weapon, immortal horses. He does sound like a stud, but why are you telling us that? Uh, mostly because of my, uh, my youthful interest in Pokemon. You say, why, uh, what, <laughs> Mr. Schmidt? And I say, well, you remember in Pokemon how you can breed Pokemon, and then you have a new Pokemon, and they have new stats, and you're like, okay, yeah, I guess so. I say, okay, well, you immortal horses, where do they come from? And you're probably like, I don't know, horse gods? And I'm like, yeah, you yeah, know, that sounds kind of funny. Actually, these horses come from the West Wind, who is a god, and supposedly the evil wind, who brings evil omens, and a harpy. You say, what's a harpy, Mr. Schmidt? I say, well, we're going to see some in the Inferno next year. But it is a bird with a woman's face with feces down her front who can fly like the wind. And so a harpy, a bird, a woman-faced bird with feces going down the front, we'll see them in Virgil's Aeneid too, and the wind uh, mated, and then they made these horses. And you say, what? How does that work? And I say, I think the idea is that they are fast like a, an aerial creature, and like the wind, they are fast like the wind, is the idea. But do you see how weird this Greek mythology is, and why you have to think it through to see what they're really saying? Right, exactly. Very odd stuff. Very odd stuff. In any case, Achilleus, he had 50 ships, he has 50 ships. He assigns five leaders to the Myrmidons, and he releases them to fight. He then makes a prayer, and this is a very sad prayer. This is the sort of prayer that if uh, you were, like, say, an athlete, and your friend was the last out in baseball before your season ended, and maybe even your career, you might make this sort of prayer for them. He prays the Patroclus fight bravely. Excellent prayer. And this prayer will be granted by Zeus. Patroclus will fight very valiantly. But he also prays that his friend return safely. And this prayer, well, this prayer will not be granted. And this recalls to us the quote of Sarpedon to Glaucus. Remember, if I could guarantee you that you would never die, I would never ask you to go out and fight and risk your life. But since you will die, we might as well go out there and earn the wonderful things that the Lycaeans have given to us. And so, it is not the case that you can strive for glory while also guaranteeing safety at the same time. In fact, those are contradictions in terms. The only way that you win glory is by taking great risk. And that is something Patroclus does, and that is something that Patroclus will pay for here. He will pay for his choices. And as I told you, the Myrmidons take the field then like wasps. And even though Aias has now lost his weapon, he is still trying to kill Hector. 
And so he's trying very hard to get that ultimate glory. You should, you should imagine that Hector Forias has a giant target on his backslash head. And, well, uh, unfortunately, Aias will not be the one that gets the opportunity to kill. Well, he does get the opportunities to kill Hector, but he does not use those opportunities most effective. There will be someone else, and it will happen in book 22. Moving forward. Hector, then Aias. This is the second time this sort of thing happens, and I just want to mention this to you because I've told you that Hector, though a good leader and a good fighter, does do... Uh, this might not be a mistake so much. as I just want you to see that he's not perfect. Just as when Sarpedon in Book 5 had gotten a spear thrown in his leg by Tlepolemus, and he called out to Hector saying, please protect me, and Hector just strove on. So do we have another moment like this. Recall that the Achaeans, all this fighting is taking place at their wall. And around that wall, remember, there is a pit with spikes in it. Well, several of the Trojans, their horses, their chariots themselves, they're stuck. And when you're stuck in that spike pit, even if you haven't been killed yet, it's very easy to kill you. Throw a stone on you. Shoot an arrow in your face. Jab you with a javelin. Whenever you have the low ground, you have fewer options than the people with the high ground, which is why we have an expression which is, keep the moral high ground. Don't let people pull you down into it. In any case, they are down in it. They ask Hector to help them. There's nothing he can do for them. He strives onwards. And so Patroclus enters the field with the Myrmidons. I said like wasps. Wasps are scary. They do damage. How much damage does he do? In his first three waves, he supposedly kills nine men, and then nine men, and then nine men. It's like he is the Grim Reaper with a scythe, and everybody around him are the grains. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And I think he even kills another nine men. He kills at least 27 men in one book, and they're just described like that. Can you imagine how gifted this man is supposed to be? It, like, and the Achaeans watching this are like, Yay! We're not going to die right now! This is awesome! In any case, moving on. But the biggest, baddest Trojans, the Trojan champions, they see what's happening, and they take a stand. And who takes a stand? Sarpedon, of course. He sees Patroclus. He sees Achilleus when he sees Patroclus. And he knows that it is his responsibility to stand against this man, even though he is clearly much weaker than he is. And so he approaches. While he approaches, Zeus watches because Zeus is the father of Sarpedon. And even though Zeus is the one who laid out fate and said, okay, A is going to happen, then B, then C, and uh, what those A, B, and C are is that first, Sarpedon will kill Patroclus. Then, Hector will kill Patroclus. Then, Achilles will re-enter the battle and kill Hector. And then, because of all of that, Troy will fall a little bit eventually. Well, Zeus almost goes back on this. And just very quickly reading from page 363, he says, uh, line 432 or so, Ah, me, that it is destined that the dearest of men, Sarpedon, must go down under the hands of Minoetius' son, Patroclus. The heart in my breast is balanced between two ways as I ponder, whether I should snatch him out of the sorrowful battle, like Aphrodite with uh, Paris and Aeneas, and set him down alive in the rich country of Lycia, or beat him under at the hand of the son of Minoetius. And then Hera sort of argues with him and says, nobody will respect him if he does that, because then he won't be, uh, then he will be making special arrangements for himself that he doesn't allow for other people, and so how can he be just if he does that? That's not fair, she says. And well, so then, um, in preparation for the death of his son, uh, Zeus does something very special that we don't see at another time. He creates a blood mist, supposedly blood, 
He cries it. It's sort of like uh, if you see an old like horror movie and you go into a church and you look at a crucifix of Jesus and then you see one of those creepy, viscous red tears coming down from him. Well, it's the same sort of idea here. Zeus cries blood because it hurts him to see his son die, and yet his son is mortal, and he is doomed to die. And so sometimes you just have to accept that tragedy is part of life, and things are the way they are. And that's what he has to accept. And if he has to accept it, who else has to accept it? He's the king of the gods. All of us. That's right. If he's powerless before mortality, are, do we have any more power than the king of the gods? No, that's just not the idea. In any case, he cries tears of blood in preparation for Sarpedon's death. Let's see how Sarpedon dies. Now, the fight between Sarpedon and Patroclus. And it is a pretty good fight. Sarpedon gets a chance to throw twice at uh, Patroclus. And actually, this is pretty sad. And I've had students be a little bit upset about this before. As you know, um, Patroclus is riding on a chariot. And he has two immortal horses, so they're totally safe. But he also has one mortal horse. And if that horse is mortal, that means it can die. That's in the word mortal. Well, Sarpedon misses Patroclus, and we have a little bit of collateral damage. He hits Pedassos. Pedassos falls. Pedassos has to be, uh, he has his reins cut, and he is dead. <coughs> sadly, sadly. Um, and then his second shot misses by inches. It, is, it goes right over the shoulder of Patroclus. He almost gets this big kill. And in his mind, he likely thought that this was uh, Achilleus, and so he came very close to ultimate glory. In any case, Patroclus throws twice, too. First, he hits Thrasymelus, <coughs> but second, he hits Sarpedon straight in the heart. And that will be a killing blow, and Sarpedon, as a great champion, will have the opportunity to give a death speech as well. And his death speech is beautiful, like many of his speeches in life as well. He, he doesn't spend any time speaking hate, as Patroclus will. He, he spends the moment... Uh, essentially setting his affairs in order, which makes me a little bit sad when I think about it. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about reading it, but I will. 491. Dear Glaucus, you are a fighter among men. Now the need comes hardest upon you to be a spearman and a bold warrior. Now, if you are brave, let bitter warfare be dear to you. First, you must go among all men who are lords of the Lycians everywhere, and stir them up to fight for Sarpedon. <clears throat> and then you yourself also must fight for me with the bronze spear, where I shall be a thing of shame and reproach, said of you afterward, all your days forever, if the Achaeans strip my armor here where I fell by the ships assembled. But hold strongly on, and stir up all the rest of our people. He spoke, and as he spoke, death's end closed over his nostrils and eyes, and Patroclus' stepping, Patroclus's stepping heel braced to chest, dragged the spear out of his body, and the midriff came away with it grisly detail, so that he drew out with the spearhead the life of Sarpedon, and the Myrmidons close by held in the hard-breathing horses as they tried to bolt away once free of their master's chariot. And just uh, another note, I'm just going to read two more lines to you. But when he heard the voice, a hard sorrow came upon Glaucus, and the heart was stirred within him, and he could not defend Sarpedon. The last request that is given to him by his cousin and best friend and rightful lord is one that he is too weak, too weak to fulfill. Imagine the moment you would be put in there. I want to do the last thing that you've asked me to do, but I, I, I am incapable of doing it, so what can he do? Well, he turns to prayer. 
he, he asked to pray to Apollo, please give me some way to, do th- to, to deal with this. And luckily for him, Apollo does show up, is very much on his side, heals him, strengthens him, and Aeneas, Agnor, Hector, and Puladamas show up to defend the body. These are essentially the four best, strongest Achaeans. Remember that Aeneas, son of a goddess, very much the head of the Dardanians, Agnor, son of Antinor, one of the big-time uh, counselors to Priam. Hector, obviously a uh, very gifted warrior, son of Priam. And Pulidamus, also his very good advisor. They show up to defend the body of Sarpedon. So all is not lost, though Sarpedon is very much fallen. Now, Patroclus and the Iontes then fight for the armor and body of Sarpedon. They want Sarpedon's armor. He's one of the big three Trojans. You get his armor, that's Kleos forever. They fight as hard as they possibly can. And in fact, <coughs> line 635 to 640, there are so many dead people around Sarpedon's body that you cannot even see Sarpedon's body by that time. And, you know, there are, we're going to have another moment like that pretty soon in Book 21 where Achilleus, after he comes back to the battlefield, and I've told you about this before, kills so many people that he dams a river. I don't even know how many people that would have to be. It's like a raging river. Like, I, a thousand? Uh, he doesn't obviously kill a thousand people, but it's tons. Tons. In any case, what does happen is this. The Achaeans do strip Sarpedon's armor. Huge victory for them. But, Sarpedon is still the son of Zeus. And because of that, there is something to be said. There is some honor, some dignity that will be bequeathed to him. It would not be bequeathed to others. <coughs> and so Zeus, seeing his son's body being fought over, seeing how nobly he felt for his side, the Trojans, he sends Apollo down to take the body of Sarpedon in the company of sleep and death to anoint it back to Lycia. His body will be taken home, but his armor will remain with the Achaeans. And so he does lose some honor, but he is not ultimately dishonored by having his body, say, disfigured and having his head cut off and put on a pike, which would be much worse. Um, in any case, that is what happens, but that is not the only death that we need to see today. And so, as we know, this is the moment where Patroclus is supposed to turn back. <clears throat> He's gotten a big kill. He has pushed the Trojans back from the Achaean Wall, but he is besotted. He, and you could read this in a couple ways. You could say that fate has pushed him. You could say that Zeus is pushing him, or you could say that his own raw emotion at the success of just killing Sarpedon is pushing him on to greater heights. He is not going to follow, and he does not follow the advice of Achilles. He charges the Trojans and Hector, and we have this quote here suggesting one interpretation, always the mind of Zeus is a stronger thing than man's. Does that mean that Zeus's mind understands the way of man? Does that mean that his mind caused the decision of Patroclus? It is not clear. In any case, Patroclus attacks the Trojan Wall three times. And on the fourth time, Apollo turns him away. And this is where Patroclus will fall. First, Apollo spreads confusion onto the Achaeans. Patroclus jumps down from his chariot. Down on the battlefield, Apollo sneaks up on him and slaps him on the back, but not in a very pleasant way. It's such a hard slap that it knocks his helmet off, uh, Achilleus' helmet off, and you might say that this is the moment where he stops identifying with Achilleus, where he shows that his fate will not be the same as Achilleus's. The helmet comes off, and it says that the horse hair for the first time ever tasted dust, because Achilleus does not lose his helmet. 
against anybody. 23 victories in sea or naval and uh, land battles. And it also knocks his corslet off, which is his chest plate. He's totally undefended. You can stab him in the back, you can stab him in the front. And he's, he's witless, he's dazed. He's, what? It's like when you get a concussion or have just uh, been knocked out and you don't know where you are. When you wake up, you're, like, you're totally disoriented. What, where am I? And a young man who's killed 20 men named Euphorbus sees Patroclus, takes his chance, stabs him right in the back. <coughs> He's so scared of him. And instead of finishing the job or vaunting over him, he actually pulls his spear right back out from him and then runs away. Because he's so scared, even of an injured Patroclus. Which, if Patroclus were Achilleus, that would be smart, because Achilleus, if you read Post-Homerica, you'll see when he dies, after having been shot in the heel, he actually continues to kill people until he starts to run out of blood. And then he finally kind of sits down, it's like, I can't really do this anymore, and then dies. So, you know, he's like a snake that still has its head, still dangerous. In any case, Hector then sees Patroclus trying. This is an agonizing moment. It's one of those moments that if we were watching this on television or in, in a movie, you would have a, a scene where you see Patroclus, a scene where you see Hector, a scene where you see Patroclus, a scene where you see Hector. Patroclus would be feet from getting back to safety, inches from getting back to safety. And right when he was about to get there, you would see his eyes go wide <gasps> and see him get stabbed by Hector. Hector stabs him in the belly. Hector brags. Patroclus prophesizes. His death, I'm, as I told you, I'm going to read that to you. You are welcome to continue writing or to follow along with me on page 372. <clears throat> I'm going to start at line 384. And this is how we will end the day. I think Homer says this better than I do. I think Homer speaks his story as well as it can be spoken. Three times <clears throat> he charged in with the force of the running war god. This is Patroclus. Screaming a terrible cry three times. He cut down nine men. Those, there are those 27 men he killed. There we go. But as for the fourth time he swept in, <clears throat> like something greater than human, there, Patroclus, the end of your life was shown forth. He is directly addressed by the narrator, a high honor given to him by Homer. Since Phoebus came against you, there in the strong encounter, dangerously. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nor did Patroclus see him, as he moved through the battle, and shrouded in a deep mist, came in against him, and stood behind him, and struck his back and broad shoulders with the flat stroke of the hand, so that his eyes spun. <clears throat> Phoebus Apollo now struck away from his head the helmet, four-horned and hollow-eyed, and under the feet of the horses, it's, it rolled, imagine now, slow motion, it rolled, clattered, boom. And the plumes above it were defiled by blood and dust. Before this time it had not been permitted to defile in the dust, this great helmet crested in horsehair. Rather, it guarded the head and the gracious brow of a godlike man, Achilleus. But now Zeus gave it over to Hector to wear on his head. Ah, an interesting note here is that Patroclus will have his body stripped of the armor of Achilleus. And when Hector stands against Achilleus, he will be wearing Achilleus' armor, and it will be Achilleus' fate to kill Hector and then die himself. So when he kills Hector, wearing his own armor, it will almost be as if he is killing whom? Himself. Very good. Very good. 
Hector, whose own death was close to him. And in his hands was splintered all the huge, great, heavy, iron-shod, far-shadowing spear. And away from his shoulders dropped to the ground the shield, with its shield slaying and its tassels. The Lord Apollo, son of Zeus, broke the corselet upon him. Disaster caught his wits, and his shining body went nerveless. He stood stupidly, and from close behind his back, a Dardanian man hit him between the shoulders with a sharp javelin Euphorbus, son of Panthous, who surpassed all men of his own age with the throwing spear and in horsemanship and the speed of his feet. He had already brought down twenty men from their horses since first coming with his chariot and his learning in warfare. He first hit you with the thrown spear, O rider Patroclus, nor broke you, but ran away again, snatching out the ash spear from your body and lost himself in the crowd, not enduring to face Patroclus naked as he was in close combat. Now, Patroclus, broken by the spear and the god's blow, tried to shun death and shrink back into the swarm of his own companions. But Hector, when he saw high-hearted Patroclus trying to get away, saw how he was wounded with the sharp javelin, came close against him across the ranks, and with the spear stabbed him in the depth of the belly and drove the bronze clean through. He fell thunderously to the horror of all the Achaean people. As a lion overpowers a wearless boar in wild combat, as the two fight in the pride, or in their pride on the high places of a mountain, over a little spring of water, both wanting to drink there, and the lion beats him down by force as he fights for his breath, so Hector Priam's son with a close spear stroke stripped the life from the fighting son of Minoetius, who had killed so many, and stood above him and spoke aloud in winged words of triumph. And I think I will read those words of triumph to you next time, because we are out of